Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. What is the sound of one man listening? This is Man Listening, a fresh podcast featuring the stories of strong women who bounce back. Man Listening, because every woman deserves to be heard. Hey there, I'm Stuart Watson, and welcome to Man Listening. My mom and dad died 10 years ago this week in the same room on the same day of the same disease. Alzheimer's and that still blows me away when I say that. Having said that, 20 years ago I recorded an interview with my mom and with my dad to ask them about their own personal history and thank God I did because it preserved my mom's voice and my dad's before they developed dementia while their memories were still sharp. So you get to hear her talk about World War II, about her brother in the war, about the Great Depression, about her own personal history growing up in this tiny town. It is lovely. Her voice is lovely. It really, it brings her back to life. And I I wanted to share it with you. So I'm gonna share the raw audio of that interview with you. Uh, If ever I wanted to listen to a voice uh, it is my mom's, you know, the one of the first voices I ever knew. And um, it brings me a lot of comfort, a lot more than reflecting on the dark times then. So this is Nell Martin Watson, recorded 20 years ago, and it's like a voice from the great beyond. I hope you enjoy it. Depression started when? 20 minutes two years after I was born. It wasn't a way of doing without anything. None, I mean, we all were equal. You know, everybody's pretty much in the same circumstances. Some people who uh, wound up getting very wealthy eventually didn't spend any more money than the rest of us. They plowed it all back in. Some funny stories about that. <laughs> Did you have the feeling that your dad was, that you guys were rich, poor, moderate? Or? Just, we were happy. We were comfortable. Yeah, we had a good I saw people poorer than we were from out in the country. Just uh, one child, just pitiful. We, we felt, we, we didn't feel rich, but we felt real comfortable. We knew they were in worse shape. They were. You had a and, car. Uh, yeah, we had a car and one car. And then Ben, of course, got a car when he got old enough. Okay, Ben was her brother. We had a house and wonderful food and took dancing lessons, music lessons, and so forth. <laughs> Had to come to Albany at first for all that. Albany was the big city. Yeah, we came, went to downtown Albany probably more than Albanians. We had to, to get things. And came to church down here. Oh. And went in, Lee, well, we went in Leesburg when the little Presbyterian church met, which at that time was just about once a month in the afternoon. But we came to the First Presbyterian down. He had a Sunday school in church. So you started coming to First Presbyterian? When I was four. Wow. Mm-hmm. Same church? 
Yeah, uh huh. It was a lot bigger then. That, that was a little bit of a drive. So your mother yeah. was Presbyterian. Was your dad? Yeah, he was too. Mm -hmm. they were both Presbyterian. Yeah. yeah, and Uncle Waya was. Uh, if you don't have time to see no, it, Uncle Waya was uh, elder in the little Presbyterian church in Leesburg. And Rye gave me all the minutes of the session meetings I had. And one of them said that uh, a session meeting was held en route to Presbytery in Cuthbert. Pres this was in the car. <laughs> it said present were uh, Mr. So-and-so, the minister, and the elder, Wad G. Martin. <laughs> they had one item of business. And then somebody prayed, and I guess the driver kept his eyes open. And uh, that was the end of the session meeting. That's the <laughs> yeah, that was one meeting. In route to Cuthbert, yeah. <laughs> Had to attend a little something before Presbytery. Now, was it the little church in town where they prayed for... Uh... No, that was in Smithville. My, my grandparents lived in Smithville and raised their 10 children there. And uh, they had a wonderful time. There were several big families. and But Smithville was very small. And so uh, Hugh, my, one of the 10 children, was very adventurous. And uh, he would, uh, I guess he was about 15, I don't know how he was, he would get on a freight train and disappear, go off somewhere. And so uh, when Granny would go to prayer meeting, the people would say, who shall we pray for? And everybody would say, Hugh McKinney. <laughs> and then he'd show up again at home and uh, tell us, I mean, tell them about his wild adventures. That I'm sure it kept my grandparents upset the whole time. <laughs> and uh, But anyway, one time I was telling a girl from England this who lived here in Albany, and she said, oh, well, we all have our black sheep. And I said, we never regarded he was a black sheep. He was colorful and adventurous. <laughs> so we enjoyed him. Uh, Granny, I'm sure, didn't, but we enjoyed hearing the tales later. And they, they would always consider him, you know, somebody to pray for. Oh, yeah. He needed somebody. to. He was gone and he was young. But oh, he, and he told, we thought about him as a Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn. He told some tale when he got home. He didn't have enough to eat. And so, <laughs> this is so crazy. He uh, stopped at a house and started eating grass in the yard. And uh, the lady said, what in the world's the matter with you? And he said, I'm just so hungry. And she said, come in. <laughs> so she fed him all manner of good food. He knew how to manipulate. Yeah, right, yeah. They had to operate. So where did you graduate from high school? Leesburg. There were 10 of us. <laughs> wow. And Are any so, of those folks still around? Uh, one's here. No, they probably are, yeah. A lot of them, I don't know where. One's in Orlando. And a few around Albany, probably. And that was you would have graduated what year? Uh, forty four. The war was going on. Wow. Now Ben went off. Did you guys hear from Ben? In the war, you mean? Yeah. Did he? Write yeah. Uh huh. He went to Emory, and then uh, he went to uh, the Navy. Yeah, he was real good about writing. Was he in dental school then, or was he in undergrad? He was in dental school, I think. I'd have to sort of stop and figure, but I think so. Yeah, so he took yeah no, no. Ben was a dentist in the CBs. He was through. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And uh, he was that chaplain, too. <laughs> so your mom must have been worried about him. Oh, yeah. Real worried, yeah. 
but he was good about writing, and he was in the South Pacific. And then, of course, he was in New Zealand and met Mary and married her. How did you keep track of what was going on with him in the war and that sort of thing? They had a code like Stuart's folks did. They uh, all knew by some code where they were because they couldn't tell and they couldn't say much. But we knew that he was in the South Pacific. My dad put a code in his letters home to tell his parents where he was stationed. How did they keep track of what was going on with the war in the South Pacific? The newspaper and the radio kept track. President Roosevelt would come on and talk and so forth. And yeah, they kept track. Were there certain hours of the day, just like the TV, that you would know to go and listen to the news report? Or oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the hours of the news, the late afternoon and in the evening, too. Did people gather at the radio to listen to it just like the, the families? Yeah. I mean, you didn't see them sit huddled over the radio like you do in pictures. But, uh, yeah, you sat around the living room and listened to the news. And uh, uh, Daddy adored uh, Jeanette MacDonald. And let's see, who was a male? Uh, let's see. Eddie somebody, I think. And so we would come down to Albany and see movies with them. And uh, Daddy loved to hear them sing. And then we'd hear them when they were on the radio. And hear the uh, uh, Lemon Abner and things like that. <laughs> Dad's baby book said that he watched Tom Nix. Do you remember some of the movies that you saw when you were a little girl when you'd come to Albany? Yeah. I remember a train movie that was so scared I had bad dreams all night. <laughs> Robbers got on a train, but the theater looked glamorous to me. It was pretty. And so after the movie, when you'd seen all the beautiful people on the screen, you'd uh, I was a little girl, maybe junior high or something. You'd go upstairs to the bathroom, and then coming down those wide, beautiful steps, you'd feel terribly glamorous, and you'd walk differently from the way you had when you arrived at the movie. Was this the Albany but, Theater? Yeah, Albany Theater. Wow. It was good looking. Yeah, then. I remember that thing. The big, it was like a, a broad entranceway. Yeah, uh-huh, and a real wide, good-looking steps upstairs. So you graduated from Leesburg, mm -hmm. and then how'd you decide where to go to college? Where did you go? Uh, I was going to Agnes Scott because we were Presbyterian and always planned that. But Daddy's territory was cut at that time with Galleon, and so I went to Wesley, and it was a little bit late. I think Scott cost a little over twelve hundred dollars, and Wesleyan cost nine hundred thirty. <laughs> so I never regretted that. I just went there two years, and then to the University of Georgia. Were you disappointed you couldn't go to the other school right away? Not terribly. You didn't, I mean, you just took what came along back then. You, we, uh, you know, things that upset people now didn't seem to upset us. Weren't disappointed at all? Mm, not very much. I didn't, I doubt if I'd ever been on the Scott campus, I didn't know that much about it. Yeah. You have fun in school? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I really did. <laughs> <laughs> it was all fun. <laughs> uh, did then, your father ever write you and say you're having too much fun? Or? No, I, I uh, sort of got straightened out before that point. <laughs> when I got, you know, a few grades, I realized that this wasn't going to work. So I, I worked hard. I, I made good grades. Yeah. Enough to satisfy Dad, the dean's list. <laughs> so what was fun? What kind of things did you guys do at school? Oh, we... Uh, Went downtown and making the movies, and we had dances. And uh, 
we, uh, the war was going on, and sometimes some soldier that I had been dating would come to see us, and we went horseback riding when he did, and I wasn't any good at that. <laughs> so we just, uh, and you know, different parties at school. And then after two years, I transferred to Georgia, and uh, several of my best friends went with me. When you hurt your leg, was that a surgery or did you break your leg? I didn't hurt it. I was 14 and I was on the stage in the school in Leesburg and mother saw my legs didn't look right and took me to an orthopedic surgeon in Atlanta and he uh, operated and cut the big bone in two and then rotate, you know, twisted the leg right and set it and then a few weeks later did the other one. Uh, did you have to walk with crutches at all? Yeah, I was in a wheelchair at first when I finally, I stayed at Piedmont a long time and mama stayed with me at a boarding house across the street she stayed. When I went home, this uh, ambulance from Kimberl Stern came to get me. And, uh, he was, Daddy knew a hill between, uh, this is all trivia, but it was fun at the time. Uh, Daddy knew a hill between Atlanta and Albany where you would stop at what seemed like the bottom of the hill and the car would roll up the hill. And so, you know, backwards and disillusion. And so uh, he uh, told Buck Stern, whom we all knew well, the ambulance driver who owned the place later, uh, showed him the hill. And every time for the next 50 years that I saw Buck, he would say, oh, let me tell you about your daddy showing me that hill. <laughs> but anyway, when we got to Leesburg, uh, they drove by the school in the ambulance and uh, turned the siren on real low so all the kids would know I was home. And so the kid, my class uh, came right away to my house and they'd been working at school and had that, you know, would put their hands on the uh, sheets of the bed and when they left mother had to change the linen. And then uh, our Lorene would take me in the wheelchair to school, which was a half block away. and. Uh, I would go to class. <laughs> wow. And then I guess I was on crutches. I was on crutches. They were terrible. How did you come to go from Wesleyan? I guess Wesleyan's in Macon and Agnes Scott is, was that suburban Atlanta? Yeah, mm -hmm, Decatur. I, we thought it'd be an awful lot of fun to go to the University of Georgia, my friends and I. And uh, I knew that probably Daddy would like for me to get a business administration degree. <laughs> And so I told him I couldn't get it at Wesleyan, but could at Georgia, and he let me go. Did you have fun at Georgia? Yeah, lots of fun. Yeah. See, I went to Wesleyan two years, and then Georgia the last two years. Where did I get Agnes Scott? Well, I was going there till Daddy oh, had some good. financial reverses, yeah. and yeah. so then I didn't. And uh, I, oh, I had to make up quite a lot in, uh, when I got to Georgia, because uh, Wesleyan's courses were a little more impractical. And I had to take Western Civ and some other course by correspondence and then everything else. I hadn't had anything very useful like biology and so forth. I caught all that up at Georgia. Since it was during the war, was it mostly women at school? No, the veterans were back. See, this was in 46. And they were very good students. They knew they had to finish and get out and work because they were behind in uh, age and so they made the curve sort of go up <laughs> so you had to study it a little bit and when you graduated from college did you move back home or yeah i moved i just was going home for the summer 
and then join my friends in Atlanta and get a job. And I met your father. <laughs> and I never got to Atlanta. <laughs> Uh, how did you meet him? Where did you see him? At a rehearsal party, and uh, very, very briefly we met. And then the next, I would, uh, I got a job that summer. You have any particular first impression? I hardly remember. <laughs> there was a lot of people, and we met very briefly. <laughs> and so uh, we, but the next, I didn't make any last. <laughs> very vague. I guess he was wearing a tuxedo and looked good. <laughs> But uh, anyway, he, uh, oh, I got a summer job and I, had, I drove down here, I got a ride to Albany, and then I'd go to Lane Drugstore and some of the people that worked in the office at Clark Thread where I worked would pick me up and take me out there. And so the next morning after the rehearsal, uh, Donna, I saw your dad there in Lane's. And so we sat together and then we started dating. And at first we, uh, dated about six nights a week because I had to wash my hair on the seventh night. And then we got so serious, he'd come on the hair washing night and I'd wash it and dry it by the fireplace in the living room while he was there. After a month, we knew we were going to get married. How'd you know? <laughs> well, that's a good question. I don't think he ever said, will you marry me? We just knew we won. We started planning. But we could, had to wait a long time because Kate was... Uh, Kate was her sister. Bob, Kate's husband, was uh, with the occupation force in Germany, and she uh, wasn't going to be coming home a while. So we set it for April, and she still wasn't home, but we just went on and married. So how long between when you started dating and when you guys got married? I guess we met in June and married in April. So it was less than a year? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How long were you engaged? Well, we'd be engaged about eight months, I guess. <laughs> Not with a ring. Uh, I forget exactly when we... I remember the occasion of his buying the ring. I didn't go with him or anything. But he dropped a diamond, which they never found, <laughs> in the jewelry store. The jeweler was a good friend. I guess he made a more zealous search after Daddy left. But anyway, it was you a pretty ring. <laughs> no, they were friends. It was Mayfair Jewels. Where would the so, have been? It wasn't. It was on uh, the north side of Broad then. Later it moved to the south side of Broad. Yeah, and they're not there anymore. No, they uh, became Mason's. Yeah. Mason's Bottom. So it wasn't Crohn's Drugs, it was, was Lee Drug Company on the corner of uh, Pine and Jackson. Is that still there? Your father's shaking his head. That's not right. Uh, no, nothing still as it was. You guys had gotten half soda before work, yeah. And he had been to Wakala Springs uh, right before I met him, and he'd gotten a terrible infection in his ear. And uh, he just looked sick and pitiful, and that made me even more <laughs> interested. <laughs> but he recovered pretty quickly. That appealed to your caretaker. Yeah, right. <laughs> he did. Now you can barely hear my dad interrupt. <laughs> she told me not to butt in, but she's been taking care of me ever since. <laughs> he said, she's been taking care of me ever since. Sweet. Uh, and so you waited to get married until Kate could make it. No, well, we, that's what we were trying to do. But we said it for April and she still wasn't home, so we married. And you first... get married on April 1st? Yeah, but I wouldn't hear to that. So we married on the second. 
And it was in the First Presbyterian Church with uh, five attendants. And then the reception was at the Federated Women's Club. And I found the, uh, oh yeah, yesterday, you know, we found the expenses for all the wedding. And it's just amazing the change that's come about. Yeah. Hang on a second. Stu, I can not talk as much because. That's fine. That's good. I'll hang on for it. I'm, I'm so, what were some of the expenses? I'd found a notebook with a list of her wedding expenses handwritten. Uh, let's see. The. Well, the clothes uh, cost right much. <laughs> uh, my going away suit cost $50, and uh, gloves, two pair of gloves for $5, and my whole trousseau cost $333. No, not, no, no. And then you add in the uh, lingerie. It was $411 for my trousseau. It was pretty. And let's see, the, uh, oh, that's more clothes. Yeah, it cost more than that. I kept buying. Uh, the flowers for the bridesmaids were $85. And the reception flowers were 36 And to rent the woman's club where we had it was $15. And uh, now I don't understand this. Mother, yeah, it was all broken up. Catherine Mosley, the caterer, charged $35, but she just... Must have made one or two things, because then the other food items listed here. But anyway. And what's that written in? <laughs> it, see, it wasn't written for posterity, Stuart. It was written for Mama to note to tell Daddy what she'd spent. It's written in the farmer's pocket ledger. And uh, as you noticed last night. Wait a minute. Back page. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, more wedding expenses back here. She comes to a total of 957. I don't know whether the whole thing cost a thousand. Apparently it cost a little bit more than a thousand dollars. But anyway, the page it's recorded on, not for posterity, mind you, is a stock breeding record page. <laughs> and then she, some pages are cut out. Daddy apparently kept his own records in it. So and see, good? that's 1949. Wow. So it was a good, and uh, was it a fun wedding? Did you enjoy it, or were you? Yeah, it wasn't as, you know, as riotous and everything as now. But yeah, it was fun. The young people were here, and uh, your daddy might have told you this, but the uh, cook, or the butler, at the uh, ATO house came down, Tom Sessions. Tom Sessions was the only black man at that wedding. Ben and Mary gave the rehearsal down at, at Radium Springs uh, on Friday night. And so who was the, uh, who was your maid of honor? Uh, Ann Wallace from Madison. She was my roommate at uh, uh, school. She's still around? Yeah, she is. I should write her. Yeah. <laughs> and the best man was Jerry, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's neat. And where was the honeymoon? It was in Gatlinburg with Nick. You won't believe this, whoever sees this. It was beautiful, wonderful little village and nothing gaudy about it and beautiful uh, brook running through it, the Pigeon Creek, I think it was, just as pretty. I mean, the buildings were, you know, as they should be. And uh, the whole thing was just small, beautiful village on a uh, beautiful stream. 
none of the high rises. No, no, none of that. Just, uh, I guess the highest thing maybe was a hotel that was two or three stories high. A couple of those. Just but it was, town. yeah, just as a mountain town should be. And then when you came back here, where did you settle? Where was your first? We had uh, Ann Knight's garage apartment. That's where I, practically all the newlyweds lived. <laughs> Lots of people lived there. And uh, so I worked, and uh, since I worked, I hired a little maid. <laughs> and my daddy thought that was the best money I ever spent. <laughs> the little maid came up. She was little maid, little apartment. <laughs> and uh, so she came uh, once a week and stayed four hours. And, you know, she cleaned it so quickly she didn't have much to do, so she'd rearrange the furniture. <laughs> so we had to go home at night and shove the furniture around a little bit. Is that apartment still there? Yeah. I, I wonder if they rent it. I don't know about that. We'll have to take but, a drive. But we, uh, we had a terrific freeze here. I don't know how cold it got. But, uh, see, we were a garage apartment, so there wasn't any warmth underneath us. That was a garage. And the uh, water in a flower vase froze. So I told Stuart I just had to leave and go to Leesburg where they had fireplaces. And uh, we went up there just for a short while. And didn't he like spend some of your savings on something? Oh, yeah. He, I had just worked that summer, so I didn't have a huge bank account. But he closed it out and that was and put it in, you know, hours. And that was my dowry. And then he went and bought himself a uh, Magnavox, record player, radio, this nice thing. Did you, did you have any say? <laughs> that was the end of my dowry. I think he felt very expert at choosing this thing, and I didn't have a lot of say. But we went. Uh, we needed a rug badly in our little living room, and so Stuart and Mother and I went, and uh, I saw a rug at uh, Callaway Furniture Company that I just loved. And Mother said, now look at Stuart. The rug cost $100, and Stuart was looking sick. <laughs> and so uh, we went to Sears, and I picked a glamour rug, with uh, about that thick for seventeen dollars. <laughs> Maybe if it had been a Magnavox. <laughs> yeah, right. Had it been a, something that played music. So uh, didn't he say no wife of mine will work? Yeah, he said that. Mm -hmm. Until you got married. Yeah. W when did you last quit saying that? <laughs> oh yeah, right. Stuart was practicing law in Atlanta. And making very little money, so his daddy kept up his allowance. And I think Stuart expected this to go on forever. I can't imagine why he did. But anyway, when he married, his dad said, well, you must be doing better than I thought, son. So he cut him off. <laughs> go ahead. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Got married. Uh, well, I worked at Clark Thread Company a few years. Real nice people out there. I liked them all. And uh, then I went to Cudahy. Cudahy, C-U-D-A-H-Y, was a meatpacking company. I made, uh, at Clark Thread, I made $165 a month. And at Cudahy, I made $387 a month. And I told Dad, I was the secretary to the manager, and I told Daddy that was because it was unionized. And... Uh, I wasn't in a union. The office staff wasn't, but the plant was unionized. And uh, Daddy hated to think it made that much difference. But that, but Cudahy 
went broke. And uh, I had uh, uh, Mr. Ray would dictate the letter every week of uh, explaining to headquarters why they hadn't made money <laughs> and uh, a two-pager, and it was right depressing. And uh, then eventually they sold it to Likes Brothers. So it was, uh, was it a textile company too? No, it was meat packers. That's right. Mm -hmm. And uh, Clark Thread was Thread, of course. <laughs> Did your dad draw a connection between the unionized and the plant closing down? Not my dad, but I, I, I certainly drew the, oh yeah, well th that's true. I mean, that was it, for one thing, that was a big factor, because those were high wages. And, uh, was the union when likes could have done it? Yeah, mm-hmm. And I don't know whether, would it necessarily stay union? It depends. Uh, yeah. It depends. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so you were basically the breadwinner. Yeah, for a while I was. Uh, and then we got children. Did you hear that? Dad says we got chillin' or we got children. Then I worked. Uh, I, I probably may, I don't know how long I worked at those two places, but not forever. And then I worked uh, part. I worked for United Way every season, every uh, that was long. fall. No, that was paid. Really? There were two paid people. And the office was in the lobby of the garden, and I see that was the only work I did for a number of years. I, my work career was over in ten years, and uh, when I got old enough to get Social Security, I called just thrilled to death, you know, at the thought that I would draw something. And she said, "Ms. Watson, your work record was minimal." <laughs> and I said, well, "That's easy for you to say, but see, it just got to add up to ten years full time, I think, and uh, probably." Six or seven years, I was just part-time at United Way. Yeah. So how long did you have to work to to, to help us? Uh, just a few years. And uh, then my work career was pretty much over. <laughs> and I did volunteer work with the league. Wow. A, so uh, where did you guys move, live before you built this house? Uh, we lived in that garage apartment, and then we built a duplex on 8th Street, and uh, the contractor was a fraternity brother of your dad's, and we didn't know much about building, and it didn't, well, it, you know, it was uh, structurally right, but it didn't have the aesthetics it should have had. We didn't know what this character was going to do next. So uh, <laughs> we uh, lived there. A few years and then built this house in 57. My daddy died in uh, early 57 and daddy had always said uh, when I die you build a cottage for your mother in your backyard and so uh, we, we wanted to build anyway and we had bought the lot I think before. Yeah we had and uh, so we uh, just built a house and a suite of rooms for mother in the house. The cottage thing didn't seem to be practical. And uh, your dad, I, I remember one story that I liked particularly was when the minister came around on Sunday visiting. Yeah. Oh, that was at Mother's where they, uh, when they were children, but ten children and one bathroom. People didn't have a lot of bathrooms. No, surely not. I think that's right. And so the Presbyterian minister was always a. Uh, you know, he was from out of town, and he would have uh, the Sunday meal with my grandparents and all these kids. And uh, 
people would have to hide in the bathroom to read the newspaper because the minister didn't believe in it. <laughs> that made a great inconvenience. <laughs> well, they believed in reading the funnies. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did. So dad was like a young lawyer. He wasn't making that much money. To mm. What right. did they do? What did he and Paul do when they first put out a shingle? Uh, well, they probably went out and visited some people, called on some people. And they did uh, volunteer work, and so uh, and Mr. Keenan got him some business. Paul Keenan was my dad's law partner, and he became mayor of Albany, Georgia. So it was two years after your dad died that we came along. Yeah, right. And this mm -hmm. house was built by the time we came. Yeah, this house was built in '57. We moved in in October '57, yeah. and then you were born in '59. I want to jump back on something that John Inman said last night, which is really interesting. When you first came to Albany, was Slappy Drive paved off? Dr. John Inman had told me the night before that Albany, Georgia's main road was not paved. It was a dirt road when he came to town. Mm, well, no, I think it just gradually, and then good things happened, and it uh, did okay. And he worked hard, long hours, early in the morning, till. Uh, about seven at night, some nights. And how did we come along, me and Liz? Oh, y'all came along through heaven. <laughs> uh, we went to uh, the uh, adoption agency then was the Doherty County Welfare Department. And this lovely Miss Hillsman was the director of it. That's Ann Knight's mother. Just one of the nicest people in the world. Uh, attractive and intelligent and she had everything. So they have to go through this process where they come to your home and visit you, and they uh, have you together and visit you, and then they come, uh, went to see Stuart at his office, and then came to see me here, and on and on and on to uh, be sure you're uh, fit for parenting. And so Ben had already adopted his children, and Ben said, now, what, I want to tell you something, said they are big on potty training, so give that some thought. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know whether Mrs. Hillsman mentioned it or not, but I was ready. <laughs> so then after two years of the process and waiting, they called and uh, said, you have a son. <laughs> so we uh, were supposed to keep it secret. But I, of course, I had been uh, gathering clothes and I ran down to Palmyra drugstore and bought a lot of baby things and the secret was out <laughs> and so uh, people some people knew you know that we were going to get you so we got you and you were adorable and you spit up on your daddy's shoulder immediately <laughs> oh and that we took a little baby dress to bring you home in and we had to dash out and buy a little romper outfit you wouldn't fit into that baby dress <laughs> and so uh, then we came home and Mama was living here. Where did you pick me up? Physically, where? In uh, Macon, yeah. What did it and, mean, in an office? Yeah, well, yeah, uh-huh. It was, in the, you know, the welfare department's place. And uh, they, uh, so you see the baby, and then you go uh, sleep on it. <laughs> and then you go back and get the baby the next morning. And so we did, and then we called Mama, and she passed the word to Ben that we were on the way home. And when we got here, Mother called uh, Ben and Mary right away, and they came down, and 
We had the best time, and you were adorable. <laughs> and so I walked out of the room to go to the kitchen, and when I got back in, my baby's clothes had been changed. <laughs> and I said, who changed my baby? And uh, Mama said, I did. I thought he was dressed a little too warm. He wasn't dressed warm enough. And uh, Ben could tell I didn't like it. And Ben said, Mama, come on out here. <laughs> and he said, Mama, this is Nell's baby. <laughs> so anyway, Mama was pretty good about that. Yeah. So was it okay living with her? What was it like when she lived here? It was all right, yeah. Daddy was so sweet and good about it. He was a really uh, good. And she lived here nine years. And... Uh, so, and so her house in Leesburg, of course. And so it was all right. What was the difference in temperament between me and Liz? What was I like as a little kid and what was Liz like? Oh, you were uh, quieter and, and smiling all the time, just real relaxed. And uh, Sis, of course, was smiling too, but she was watching to see what's going to happen next and <laughs> see if it was all okay. But uh, you were just uh, maybe a little more relaxed. And Liz got relaxed, got quite relaxed enough, but she was, uh, you know, speedy, and you and I are not speedy. <laughs> In the um, home movies, you see some of the maids come through. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Caretakers. Um, what did they do most of the time? What kinds of I am personally interested in the black women she calls maids who really did everything from cooking and cleaning to child care. They, I did all... The people my age worked on uh, league work <laughs> and all sorts of volunteer work. And then we were, it was such a funny process. We uh, worked to go through the process. You have to go to get in the junior league. And that took untold hours. You have a course, and I was the education chairman for that course. And the whole thing is pretty ludicrous. And then the ladies come down from New York to visit, and uh, we wind them and dined them. <laughs> and, uh, so uh, we were busy doing that sort of thing. And then uh, the, we would, the maids would be with you when we were away, but we went home plenty of hours. We got home at lunch and probably stayed. So what kinds of things did they do? You, you played uh, out in the backyard a lot, and the other maids would bring the kids. They were nursing, and uh, it was fun. You'd have the neighborhood kids and the maids. <laughs> Quite a circuit. Mm -hmm. Does any one of them stand out? We've mentioned uh, Louise was great, yeah, and uh, she was uh, Rosie Greer's cousin. Rosie Greer was an NFL star, but Louise was thin as a rail, <laughs> and Rosie's huge, and uh, she was very intelligent. And she quit eventually and uh, took a nursing course, and then she and her son Tony moved to Washington D.C. Where Tony, uh, when he grew up, became a policeman. Louise, I don't know for sure where she is now. I could find out from Leola yeah. that works for Canadia. Leola basically raised my best friend. So Leola and her? Yeah, they were close friends, kept in touch. But Louise was wonderful. Yeah. And then we took one, we took several nurses to the beach when we'd go. And Liz uh, knocked Mary Worthy's glasses off accidentally <laughs> into the Gulf of Mexico, <laughs> so we had to do something about that. But we'd have a house, a cottage, and uh, the carport, and then the maid's room. And some of them were homesick, and some of them adored it. <laughs> Mary Worthy liked it, <laughs> but it was a big help. Yeah. 
Okay. Right out of the tape. What have I missed? Nothing, I think. Oh, I did. I didn't want to ask you. How did, do you know how Ben met Mary and how, how did you guys meet Mary and where did they get? My uncle Ben married my Aunt Mary in the Pacific in New Zealand during World War II. I think Ben had a letter of introduction from somebody that knew them. And he went to the home, and uh, Ms. Winston was crazy about Oh, I think when Ben first got there, a button had come off of his pants or something, and he had to draw Ms. Winston into another room and ask if she'd repair it. And uh, she liked him so much, and of course Mary did. And so they had a fast uh, courtship, and then uh, came home on the ship. Well, no, she went to some island and met Ben, and then they came home on the ship together, and uh, Ben's buddies, uh, to play a joke on him, took the uh, his door off the hinges. <laughs> Where did they get married? In New Zealand, in Auckland. Wow. And when we went to New Zealand, uh, the first thing the tour director did was take us up to the bay. I forget the, uh, there's a beautiful harbor there, and pretty homes on the uh, harbor. And he took us up to see it, and that's where Mary had lived. Her house was up there, real pretty view. Wow. And so, and so they were stationed. I shouldn't go on and on, but uh, they were stationed in uh, that uh, place on the coast of South Carolina, Paris Island. And there was a quaint old town there, real old. And the transportation from Paris Island to get closer to Albany was uh, from Paris Island. You went to Savannah on a little train that didn't have any windows. <laughs> Just It was open. Uh, and so the uh, cinders would blow back. I can hardly believe that in that time, but that's true. So you guys didn't get to go to the wedding? Nobody mm -mm. Went to the wedding. No. Mm -mm. So the first time they met Mary, they were already married. Yeah, right. Uh -huh. They came home, I guess it was uh, 45, maybe. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. 40, late 44. <laughs> now I have another interview that I recorded that same weekend in which we drive up to tiny Leesburg, Georgia. It's a lot bigger now than it was then. And we drive around town and we go past her old home, her old church, and also out uh, to a family cemetery, a very small family cemetery. And so there's some things that I know about my own personal history, my lineage, especially on the Martin and the McKinney side of the family, my mother's side, that I never would have known if I didn't drive around with her. Um, I've since made a business, which I can tell you more about in the future, out of talking to people to get this kind of personal history from them. And I can tell you about that. I'd be happy to tell you about that in the future. In the meantime, such a pleasure to share my mom's voice with you. Uh, thank you for listening. Man Listening is a production of Unmediated LLC in cooperation with the Queen City Podcast Network and Balto Creative Media. Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative and Rachel Clapp Miller are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins and Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Catherine Smith. That's me. Please go to our Patreon page. You'll find us at patreon.com. Look for Man Listening, one word, no spaces. We hope you'll join us by becoming a member. 
a small investment can raise up the conversation. If you want exclusive member merch like a t-shirt, we can arrange that too. A huge thank you and shout out to everyone who has supported Man Listening, however you've supported it, even if it's just by listening from the very beginning. Uh, tell a friend, I appreciate it. Don't forget to support us at Patreon. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Thanks.